I have one teacher in particular that I think of when I think who was a teacher that made a big impact on you. And I had him really for one year as an instructor, but it really, it really was something that sort of endured. But here's the thing. I haven't kept up with teachers. Teachers kind of have their role and I have my role <laughs> as the former student. Um, I don't know. I mean, I was a junior high school student and then I went to a different high school and so keeping up with a junior high school uh, person would have been a little unusual. But I never forgot this guy. He made a huge impression on me, as I said. And uh, he followed me maybe a month and a half ago on Instagram. And I was like, no way. And I followed him back for kicks. And I'm like, I can't believe this guy. He, he looks great. He seems full of life like he always did. Would he talk to me? It has been 32 years. We have not been in touch at all. <laughs> I even recorded the video of this, and that is available through Vimeo. You can go and find the link through theattentionist.com, where all of the episodes are housed. I got to say, education is the great contextualizer, and I think we all have this role with it where we serve it and it serves us and it forms relationships through it that are both a kind of qualitative and quantitative. I'm so thankful for Bob coming on the show and it was incredible that he did it. Oh my gosh. Is this right? You also became an administrator at Greenbrier? I did. Yeah, about six years in, um, I then did a hybrid thing where I taught one eighth grade English class and then was also like the, the junior high or middle school administrator, um, which was really hard because the kids wouldn't time their fights or their issues where I could work on it in the office other than during the time I was supposed to be teaching. So that made it kind of complicated. So then the next year I was strictly admin and then right before I left my last year, um, I was... I guess sixth through twelfth grade, um, dude. Whatever the I don't know what the title was. It was a principal. It was something like you know, the guy. Um, did that for a year, and then um, that's remarkable. And I, you've mentioned now you 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 have mentioned that you now work in the public school system. Mm -hmm. Can you just connect the dots? You left. Greenberg Christian was very much a private Christian situation school. Um, did you go? I don't, I don't have this exactly. I don't have this in my mind clearly at all. Did you go from there directly to public school? I did not. No. Um, I almost left the year before I did. I, I can vividly remember looking down that long hallway where the classes were right off the office looking out the doors at the very end thinking I could just keep walking and go straight out and not turn around and I was real close to doing that I think what had sent me over the edge was we had a teacher um, a Spanish teacher which is hard to come by in, no matter where you are much less a private Christian school and she decided to quit um, that day didn't come in called to say I'm not coming I think she said it in English I'm not sure so I was stressed about that. I'm like, you know, this is, it's, I'm not enjoying this. I don't, I'm not a quit typically, but I think at that point I just, 
I'd seen enough and just really was ready to not see anymore. Yeah. So I was going to do it. I hung in there. And then there were some other key people. You probably remember Mr. Mowry, um, Randy, ugh, I can't think of his last name, um, guidance counselor, Kinnick. These guys at the end of that year both decided to leave. And so I was going to do the same. I thought, oh gosh, I can't do that because I am so terribly important to this institution yep, that it will yep. fall around itself if I decide to leave. Um, and some of that, I say some of that tongue in cheek, but not really because I did know that I was one of the few things that were kind of a positive. Um, and I thought, well, if I leave, who will be the me there? Who will really care about the kids and listen to the kids and that kind of stuff? which was very, very, um, I thought of myself very highly, obviously. So I needed to be humbled. And so um, I decided after marrying Leslie, who you've never met, my beautiful wife, um, we got I've married the pictures, summer yes. of, yes, the summer of 2000. And just thinking through, okay, what does it mean to work at this private Christian school that that is your life? That is it's not just your ministry. This is what you do. And this is what you devote all your energy and time to. And I was trying to square that with, but now I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm sorry. I was not a dad yet. I'm a husband. And how do I square that commitment to now my wife and figure out what that's going to look like with, but this is more important. The, mm -hmm. the ministry is more important. And I couldn't square that in my head. So I decided in August of all times to say, I won't be coming back. So Leslie and I both resigned our positions, and um, I had had connections through doing the yearbook for the school with a yearbook publishing company rep, the, the company that uh, represented our school, the guy who had been close with me for years. Uh, I called and said, hey, here's what I'm thinking. I've, I've just quit my job. Do you have anything? And he did. And um, so everything was, was crazy up in the air at that point. Had just gotten married, had just quit my job, which is not probably – engender much um, confidence with the in-laws <laughs> and he said yeah we have this <laughs> we have this opportunity you'd be great for it you'd be going into schools you'd be working with different um, yearbook stabs and their advisors and working on design and deadlines and all this great stuff and I thought that is awesome I, I love that let's do it and he said yeah the only thing is you'd have to move I'm like newly married Woo, let's do this I can move and it's in Buffalo New York and I was like oh okay Wow. Buffalo, New York. I've heard of it. Yeah. Um, so Leslie and I went up to Buffalo and we did some, you know, it was kind of looking around sort of a thing and talked with people. And the, the story we kept getting is that Buffalo has gotten a bad rap. We're not, it's not as cold here as people say, you know, the worst storm we've had was like the, the blizzard of 76. So I'm like, Oh, okay. Because all I can think of was snow. So we decided to do it, the job, moved to Buffalo, and by November 20th, my wife's birthday, the heavens opened, the snow <laughs> came down, and it did not stop until about May. Oh, had over 500-some inches of snow that year, and the headlines were the worst blizzard since the storm of 76. Um, so that's what I did for that year. We lived in Buffalo, just the two of us in an apartment, I was the yearbook publishing company rep for Western New York. So I drove to all these different schools in snow um, oh, as the guy from South and people would want me to say y'all again, because they thought it was so cute. And then we would ask for sweet tea and it would remind us there's sugar on the table and stuff. And it was just a really interesting, difficult time for me. Oh, um, 
because it wasn't what I had done for 12 years. And I would walk into schools and realize this is not my school. These students are not my students. And I'm really nobody here. I'm just the yearbook guy. I'm just the sales guy. Um, so it was kind of a time of a lot of, it was sort of like my desert, my wandering for about a year. Um, and just trying to figure, okay, what is it I'm supposed to be doing? And who am I really? And how do I balance all this with who I thought I was? Um, so it was good. It was extremely complicated and very, very difficult. But it was a time of real breaking and remaking. And um, <laughs> my poor wife wondered what show I got into at that point. Um, so and, she and was sorry, amazingly did she, did she, gracious through the whole process. A, and Excuse me. I was just going to ask, did she have a job then? Or was she kind of like, ah, I'll, I'll stay at home? Well, no, at that point, she had been at Greenbrier for three years. That's where we met. So we both resigned. She stayed at home and she was like the, um, we had a fancy name for her, but basically she answered the phones at our apartment because that was the office, okay. you know, so I worked from home. Um, so she was my administrative assistant or whatever fancy title we made up for her. And I would call her because this is, this is like uh, MapQuest, stuff like that was relatively new. And I had a little brick, Nokia brick. That was my phone. And I would call and say, no idea where I am. I'm totally lost, you know, and it's snowing. And she would try to walk me through to get me to the right place. Um, and there were times I would, multiple times, I'd find myself on the side of the road in the snow, just banging the steering wheel and just like <laughs> yelling at God, like, what is going on? This is not who I am. Um, yeah. So. By March of that year, I decided, nope, can't do this anymore because it became mostly sales where I was trying to get my foot in the door and sell people on this yearbook company. And I'm not a salesman. So we blanketed <laughs> the, um, the area, um, like Hampton Roads area with applications to start the process to get back here and teach in public schools. And uh, came back that summer, quit the job. Again, quit another job without a job. Quit it, came back. Ended up living with my parents for six months, which was extremely complicated, and eventually got my first teaching job in public schools in Suffolk in uh, wow. January of 2002. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of crazy between Greenbrier and settling back into a classroom. Wow. I really appreciate how dramatic yeah. the, um, the exit was. <laughs> and... As someone that's, you know, uh, that spent plenty of time as a biblical um, uh, Bible teacher, uh, it was a kind of wilderness passage for you. You were led out of one land. Yes, it really was. But you were, <laughs> yep. The snow, st I, you know, I've spent my entire life that's in exactly the That's exactly what it was. Uh, I spent my, I've, I've looked, I've, maybe like yourself, I've made tons of friends from some version of the Northeast or, or Northwest. And right. I, and I, I ascribe like a lot of, um, I guess, I, I, I think it's so interesting to just go to a different place and do something different. And I know, you know, I, I, right. I know the South, like the back of my hand, whether I'm in North Carolina or Georgia, uh, most of, not right. all of Florida, but a lot of Florida, I'm like, this is just home. <laughs> I know this, I know these yeah. smells, I know these trees, right. um, the, the handful of times yeah. I've been and growing up. Yeah. <laughs> The handful of times I've been to cool. New York, I've never even been to upstate New York, but I'm like, okay, this is different. And the times that I've been to like Boston, I'm like, okay, it's a little different vibe mm -hmm. overall. And right. Yep. Um, so the attraction. Yeah, growing up in Florida. 
The attraction yeah, is real. Grew up in Florida. Leslie grew up around. It is. And um, growing up in Florida, living in Hampton Roads for 12 years, and then making that move to New York. And I had gone to college in Tennessee, so my whole life had been you know, south of the Mason-Dixon line. And we discovered that there, especially Buffalo, it was faith, family, and f- I'm sorry, food, family, and football, not faith. Food, family, football. I don't care about football. And we lived, you know, like right down from the Buffalo's stadium. The food, um, you know, the, the, okay, I like food. And we had no family up there. We had zero friends. We, we entertained once. We went out with a couple we met at our church one time. In the entire year that we were there, we did one social thing. Um, it was just a real interesting time of, like you mentioned, wilderness wandering and just kind of really making us depend on each other and God because we had nobody else, which in retrospect, when I look back at it, had I stayed at Greenbrier, I don't think we would have connected as deeply and as quickly as we did (laughs) because I would have had all of those other things, all of those families, all those obligations, all of those games and plays and concerts and late nights at Greenbrier um, to distract me because it would have been the same life as single Bob. It would have just been married Bob. Okay, so you're actually, that sentence is awesome. Single Bob. I want to go back. I want to, here's the thing. I, junior high for most of us is an insane time. Um, mostly disappointing. You, and so I, I was literally starting eight. Yes. <laughs> um, and you were this guy who mm-hmm. I, I still remember. I went to class and I was like, this guy is tall, thin, super cool hair, and he works here. <laughs> and I was so used to, I had been at Greenbrier for one year, seventh grade, um, but I was just, I, I um, this is a total joke, but I'm going to say, I was totally wrong, but I'm just going to say what I thought was true. I was like, I have figured this school out in one year. Ain't nothing going to surprise me in eighth oh. grade. And there so I go, go. I, I go back thinking, I mean, I wasn't even a popular kid, but I was capable. Here's my only saving grace. I had, I looked silly. I had braces. My hair was weird. My face was weird. My uh, <laughs> clothes, mama was trying with the clothes, but anyway, um, <laughs> but I, I was capable of making some jokes, some of the time land and uh, right. a right. few, a few of the other eighth graders and including a few girls actually actually thought I was funny and so I had inflated my own sense of, per, of perception about <laughs> my own sense of perception about the dynamics of the school and I thought I had it all figured out and then I remember seeing you right. uh, early September of 1988 and I was like <laughs> okay this was not in my playbook and this guy is way funnier than anyone <laughs> I've ever met who's a teacher and um can you and and I hope this question is interesting to you, but it's interesting to me, whatever you're going to say, what do you remember about starting at Greenbrier in 1988? Sure. Um, Being excited. I graduated college. I really love, I love school. I really do. Um, So I was sad to graduate high school and go to college, got to college, loved college, was sad that I had to graduate, that I had to leave college. I even stayed an extra year. College was where again? Tennessee Temple University, which no longer exists. Yeah, Chattanooga tore it down a couple of years ago. Um, but yeah, 
Chattanooga. So I, I went there purposely to get away from Lakeland, Florida, where I grew up, because I wanted to be my own person. So I went to Chattanooga. And then I had the option of staying there to work or going back to my hometown and work in my home school I left or do something else. And I chose to do something. Um, I was real close with Melinda Caldejohn. I don't know if you remember her. She was a PE teacher. I'm sorry. Yeah. She was a member of a church. Yeah. She was, so she was from Virginia beach. She was going to go back to Virginia beach to teach at Greenbrier. She, Mr. White, she knew he needed an English teacher. She knew me. She knew I was going to be an English teacher. She connected us and he came down to the school, to temple. Uh, We went out to eat like somewhere super fancy, like golden corral. (laughs) And, um, talked with me and that was that was the interview and so I had the job. So I pack up everything I I have in the back seat of a car and I'm pulling out of the house in Florida to my you know waving at my parents and I stop and say, wait a minute, how do I get to Virginia? I had no idea. <laughs> so I, I drive to Virginia, show up, um and I I stayed with some people, uh, Mrs. Leonard, you may remember her. She was on staff at Greenbrook. She taught like uh a girl class or whatever. So I stayed at their house until I got an apartment and um, didn't know anybody. It was all brand new. So it was exciting in that regard. Um, I remember the day before school started sitting at my little desk in the classroom where I would meet you and um, thinking, I don't really know how to teach. I mean, I went to college for five years to do this and I really don't think I know what I'm about to do, <laughs> but I you know, did it. You guys showed up and I had to teach you something. Um, and just, being single meant that I could really pour myself into it. So I was there, you know, for everything. If there was a game that night, I was at it um, because there was nothing to go home to necessarily. And I could help clean up afterwards and eat whatever food is left in the concession stand. So that would be my meals. It would be hot dogs and popcorn is what I subsisted on for years. Um, But just kind of giving myself to it. And in that sense, it was very ministry related but it was also just who I wanted to be is, is the guy who helped the guy who taught um, and just was there. It was kind of, it was, it was my life. So that when I was talking about leaving it, it was as if I had experienced death to leave that place. Um, Though it it was cathartic after a while when I processed it, it was just very complicated, um, a complicated relationship with the place, I guess, because you get so used to it. And that was where I grew up. I mean, from, I met you when I was 23 and I left when I was 35. And so I really grew up there as an adult and it was very formative. Um, But it it took a while to have, to come back to good memories of the experience. But you would, of course, would be one of those good memories. I remember you're coming in. It's funny how you see yourself in retrospect as a kid, how I saw you was, I wish I had been as cool as Jeffrey Little (laughs) when I was in eighth grade. Cause I was a dork in eighth grade and I'm like, he's got it together. I mean, he's got a sense of humor and you know, you just exuded a confidence, which may have been fake. You may have faked it, but you did a good job that I did not have as an eighth grader. Um, so it's just funny how you view you as an eighth grader and how I viewed you as the adult looking at you. Um, but it, it just, it's interesting. Um, because I don't feel any different necessarily. Most days I still feel like I'm about 20-ish, <laughs> early 20s. Um, and then I wonder, okay, you're looking at me thinking, good night, he looks old. 
and you're an adult, which I'm not sure when that happened. I'm guessing you've done puberty and all that stuff. <laughs> so you got facial hair. You didn't have that in eighth grade. Um, but yeah, at the time I spent there as a single guy was really cool because I was able to travel with the different groups that went to foreign countries and missions trips and was very unattached. And was, I enjoyed that singleness and being able to just go and do things without the attachment of yeah. feeling obligated, you know, report back kind of situation. I love that. I, I, when I finished, I went to Belmont University here in Nashville. I finished in 1997. I remember. Yeah. I ended yep. and I obviously have stayed in Nashville, but, but one tiny analog to what you're saying is I got re the story is it's I didn't have a lot going on when I graduated from college to my own uh, I tried but nothing really materialized I ended up <laughs> a single guy I ended up a single guy uh, barely had a job for from 1997 to 1998 uh, but I ended up linking in with a youth group ministry here in Nashville on the side of town yeah. suburban cool. thing and I can although it's not the same right. exactly as what you're saying, there is a similarity in I, that idea of being available to students, having long talks with, uh, especially kids that are either um, interesting or th maybe they're the least interesting and so they have no one to talk to. Um, and then there's a faith component. And then, uh, right. and then there's a fun, for me, there's a fun component too, mm -hmm. because I, and I, I would even say I learned some sure. of this from you just having fun being silly in front of kids. Uh, that right. was, you were many things, but you weren't afraid to be silly uh, and just show a full range of no. emotion. You. Um, right. Yeah. It's like a talk show every day to me. Teaching was like a talk show every day and mixed in there was grammar and some diagramming and some literature and some Shakespeare. Um, but it was like a talk show. It was almost you know, performance art in the form of we're also going to write a paper at the end of this. Did you have in your early life a, a version of a you? Was there a young, yeah. younger teacher like yourself? There was. As a matter of fact, um, I often will attribute this trajectory my life went on to Mr. Lunn, who was my eighth grade English teacher. So my who I am to you, you're an English teacher, Mr. Lunn was to me. This interview is going And well. he was one of... <laughs> oh, good. Just, oh, it'll get us back. I didn't, um, I didn't expect so you to say he you're was not... English teacher. <laughs> oh, I know. Isn't that crazy? Um, he was not my first male teacher. My, um, my first male teacher was in sixth grade. And he, I can still remember things he told us as a class that I thought at the time, that doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like you should say that to kids. And I could, I could tell you now what those things are, but I'm not going to. But I can remember uh, he said some things I thought, hmm, I don't know. That seems wrong. Hmm. Um, but then comes Mr. Lunn into my life at just the right time. My parents had recently divorced. My mom was working full time to support us. There was no dad in the home. I was an old, still an only child. I don't think my mother at 75 is probably going to give me a sibling. So I'm still an only child. But I was just really needy at that time. And Mr. Lund was super cool. Um, but super cool for like 1977's cool. I mean, like, you know, the bell bottoms, the, the long hair and all. You talked about my hair and my dress. Um, he taught me English. He, um, the one thing that stuck with me the most was how 
he would have his journal. And I think I had you guys journal. I don't, I think I did. I know for sure I did with my public school kids. Um, he would have his journal and then he would read it and respond. So he would make little side comments, you know, in the margin and stuff like that. Just nothing major, but just something. And to me, that was huge. I'm like, oh, here's this man, this adult who is paying attention, mm-hmm. who is seeing me and who's hearing me and seems to value me. Um, and that was hugely important to me at the time. And that is when I remember, when I, I can recall thinking, I want to be Mr. Lund for someone else. And so I decided at that point, eighth grade, I want to be a teacher. That's what I'm going to do with my life. And it's not many people who know what they want to do in eighth grade and then actually go to college to do it and then actually do it after college and then keep doing it for all these years. Um, but yeah, that's the man I would say inspired me to become an educator. Um, and then there, it's funny because people, I just bumped into three ladies who are at the beach a couple of weeks ago. You may remember some of these names. Um, and they were all students of mine at Greenbrier. Now they're all moms. They're watching their kids running around the beach and stuff. And they're all probably early 40s now. And they're reminding me of how I used to have them journal. And then I would write comments back in their journal. I'm like, oh, it's happened. You know, I've, I've become the Mr. One. Um, so yeah, that's who inspired me to do what I ended up doing. I have beside me something I got out of the attic earlier. Um, Uh can you terrified? um, What is is that? What is it? It's a spiral notebook. It's a spot. Sorry. And I, I realize, um, folks at home that don't see the video can't tell what I'm doing. This is a journal from the beginning i mean i would have met you i would have met you maybe within a few days of writing this this is from september 7 1988 somehow i ripped the cover off i don't know if that was like out of a rage or probably more likely just an attrition of moving it around between boxes in my attic over the years um let's see Uh, (laughs) or rats i don't know i i actually did not read because i am an amateur show host i didn't read this really in advance i'm gonna fly through this pretty quick um (laughs) September 7, 1988. Today was a pretty good day. Math was boring. Bible was slightly interesting. History was pretty bad. And I failed the pop quiz we had in science. Blakeney, <laughs> Mr. Blakeney, yelled at us and gave us all this weird yeah. information. I wish science had some class. I don't know if that's a pun on purpose or not. And then <laughs> Mr. Brennan just said to describe <laughs> ourselves. So here goes. I'm five foot six, curly, dirty blonde hair. I have big hands and feet. And then you wrote in the margin because we all turned <laughs> you, in, you wrote, I've noticed. Um, I, like video, <laughs> I like video games and especially sports. I also like to ride my bike a lot. And then I wrote, how was that? It's funny, you, 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 you had us write these things and then we would turn them in. But I wrote, how was that question mark? As if I'm not writing to myself, but in a way I'm not because I know you're going to read it. Right. Um, right. I don't just have right. this beside me. I have this one. I have this other one. That's These are so all funny. filled spiral notebooks. I have a third <laughs> one. And then I have a fourth one, which um, in Good the industry guys. we call, it's, it's pretty effing thick. Like I wrote a ton. This is all still um, at the end of eighth grade. And I actually kept it over the summer, this last one. It's a full like 60 or 70 page spiral notebook. One thing I wanted to say during this conversation is you doing that, the journaling exercise, 
was the beginning of me realizing I had things to get out. Uh, no one right. in my, no one in my lovely family uh, was an oh. artist, was an expressive type. There was a lot right. of uh, compression. Usually, feelings were meant to be, uh, you could say, mitigated, or, or you could say, you could say, managed. <laughs> feelings were meant to be managed, not looked yeah. into more. And right. uh, <laughs> yeah. and that that was because of my my mom and dad's different sets of parents, uh, their lives, um, there was a lot of in, they were, they were efficient people. And, um, mm -hmm. I think there was an, uh, there's <laughs> an overlying word. theme of, um, don't waste your time on stuff. that's not going to go anywhere. And, uh, the, you know, right. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to be overly harsh. It's just, um, no one, no one, I had, I had instincts to try to express some things on paper before, and I really liked music <laughs> and I knew somehow lyrics mm -hmm. got written, but I just didn't have any, I didn't know a single person that ever really wrote songs <laughs> in my life. And it seemed like really abstract right. to me. Um, and so I, and you, you would look at these journals. In fact, I even... I remember ninth grade, like we said earlier, I didn't actually take classes from ninth grade, but you kindly, <laughs> the fat notebook, you actually read the whole damn thing. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm sure you're like, oh my God, what did I, what, what did I, what did I start up with these kids I where did? they're still turning journals and they're not even doing it for grades anymore. They're oh, just, <laughs> but you wrote, you wrote many kind sort of supportive notes on, especially no. a lot of my, my almost <laughs> categorically failed crushes. <laughs> uh throughout the summer right, of grade. Right. um you you seem to constantly be like don't worry about this one or there's more fish in the sea you know you had all of these sort of not overly deep but constructive ways of saying dude you've got life to go you're you never said it quite this way but you're only 14. um <laughs> So I, 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 I bet you, you, you got this feedback on the beach. You said from a few right, exactly. young people that I might even know. Um, and I got to say that that practice is, I still keep, I don't just keep journals, but I, I, I keep, um, I keep, I, I, I play with all these colored note cards. I'm holding these colored note cards up. I just, I live in a world of writing down little phrases and ideas I, I i follow a guy uh just online he's kind of a, a business coachy guy james altucher and he talks about you gotta write down your ideas in fact be like me write down 10 ideas a day and i first of all i'm not that good i can't always get 10 out but i will i've noticed that i have good things coming out of me all the time like jeff you have things in you that are worth uh uh, getting out, uh, writing right. out. And I, I think, I think most, I think most people probably experience some sort of awakening to that. And first of all, when you're a kid, you, you don't probably, um, have that many amazing ideas, <laughs> but, um, I, and I don't know, I mean, it would be, do. it would be a full year or two before my ideas were amazing. Um, no, I'm kidding. I'm still wondering if they're amazing, but uh, there's, the, I think, I think the, the, it, 
what you had what what you said for us to do back in eighth grade was it doesn't matter what you say uh just write right write about whatever right and i and then i think you said (laughs) i think i'm trying to remember was it i think it was more like i you don't even have to write that long but you do have to write several days i think you said that or maybe write several entries and you may Um, i don't know how you i don't know what you remember right i'm trying to remember yeah, over the years it may have changed. I do know that because I I did this when I got to public schools too, and I taught um, tenth, eleventh, and twelfth graders uh, in public school, and I the journaling also, and I, I'll bump into occasionally one of them, and they'll say, "Oh, I still have my journal. I found it the other day." You know, because I'll tell them, "Do not throw this thing away. Mm. Stick it under your bed. You're going to find it." And obviously, case in point, there you are with them. Um, but how would thing like at least write half a page or something like that and i would you know i would tell them fold the page over if you don't want me reading it because i wanted it to be a conduit also for them just to kind of get some things out and i honestly wouldn't read it because if i'm looking at everybody's and i've got 75 to look at and i'm looking for 10 entries per i'm looking for a chance to find a full page it doesn't go on by and yeah, I could, I'm sure there were blank pages that were folded or like, are you reading this folded? You know, I'm sure that had happened. Um, but I didn't care because it wasn't, I wasn't taking it as a grade for the, um, the way it was written, just the fact to write. And it, part of that was as a teacher of English, I wanted people to, to practice that skill of writing and writing and writing. So it doesn't feel like I'm writing an essay that's required or a term paper that's boring, but it is writing. And so it is getting thoughts on paper. So that was kind of the, the English guy in me. The other part was I knew kids needed somewhere to put thoughts down or put thoughts out. And of course, when we were doing this back when you were in eighth grade, there was not social media to blast your thoughts all over the world for everyone to have to wallow through. Um, so I think it was a good, it was a good outlet. Um, you know, to have that opportunity just to put things down. I, I pre, you know what I had never done until just now with you made this connection that, that something like Instagram uh, and obviously other social media things, uh, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera, a TikTok, that is a kind of journaling. It is. You're right. It is. Um, I'm putting my thoughts and my feelings out there for others to, to know about. Yeah. Or for me to um, record. You and I, connected because of instagram after yes. many years of i'm science. so excited um <laughs> i know i ask, love it i love when me, that happens too <laughs> let me ask this are you keeping a journal oh jeffrey why would you ask me that you know what i was journaling i started in well i started in mr Lund's class so eighth grade officially started and kept moving on, uh, I think in 10th grade, my mom got me a journal for my birthday or something. So I started in 10th grade for my own personal sake, not a school one, and did not stop until, um, gosh, well, all the time I knew you, all the way through that. Um, once I got married, it became more complicated mm-hmm. because, you know, when you're a single guy, you can sit and journal as late as you want at night. It's not so much what you do when you're married. So, hey, sweetie, I'm going to journal for a little bit. So it got kind of sporadic in our early relationship. And then once kids came on board, it, it was real sporadic. So I did not, I stopped around 2004-ish. Uh, but that's not bad from, 
from 10th grade, like 15, all the way until however old, old I was in 2004. Um, but no, and then it, it, because it's a discipline, it's something that if you do it, you keep doing it. Once you stop, it's hard to get back into. I did pick up my journal and pen and journal the night the Barack Obama won because I wanted to kind of record that for myself. Oh, yeah. The fir- his first administration. And then I thought, okay, I know. And then I thought, okay, and then I failed to do it again after that. And then when I turned 50, like right before that, I got a journal and I'm going to journal about my life as a 50 year old man. And I don't think that went very far either because it's not, you know, by the time, by the time we get four people in bed and I've done my job for the day, yeah. I read and then I pass out for the most part. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think you feel for me any kind of judgment. Um, it was just curiosity. And I, <laughs> I, sure. um, I have gone through phases of where it feels natural mm-hmm. to write a bunch of ideas down. I have, I have a, a large tub in my attic, which is where I got right. these journals from. Right. But it's, it's full of journals. And I kept different kinds of journals over the years. There's times where the journals that I kept were primarily like prayer diaries and I'm there I am like right you know, I just if you if it's your will and and then other times it's like you know these blankety blank you know a <laughs> hole whatever you know it's like which which I, <laughs> I think both and then in in my most recent iterations and this is since the pandemic uh f- for me uh, I've worked from home and uh I And it started stronger than it has been in recent weeks and and even maybe months now. But March, April and May, I was having the most unique sort of like season of getting up before dawn and I would just go down to my kitchen counter Mm. and I would just be able to write and Mm -hmm. I would write whatever was kind of coming out. And I would find this strange moment in history that we were in. Somehow that was very uh, uh, compelling. And I I got almost everything. I think the main joke to myself about um about uh journaling especially so i just turned 45 is um it's amazing how much more it's amazing how much i believe you're 45 i know well it's yeah um it's amazing to me how much more interesting i am all the time Mm -hmm. and uh, i mean there's obviously that sounds like a very egoic thing to say i right i think we all do get a bit more uh, I guess either co- you could say concise or um, specific um, or r- you could say ruthless. I was able for the first time, I don't know why I'm going to say this, but I am. I was able for the first <laughs> time to actually write some things about some people close to me that mm-hmm. I, I wasn't trying, I don't intend for them to ever read it, but it was a kind of uh, catharsis sure. we used earlier to sure. write to, to, I was a, it was fearful to write out the exact thing that I felt, but mm-hmm. I also was like, I, I really, something is happening. There's a transformation in seeing these words in front of me that yeah. I'm writing about some difficult things. Uh, that, and, and uh, I, it's a, it's a practice that I, we can quit talking about this, but there is, there is this uh, kind of like, kind of a self-help e artist person called julia cameron who wrote a book called the artist way and she maybe emerged to kind of a national stage maybe let's just say 10 years ago or so maybe 15 and uh 
she's all about morning pages. She's like, if you will write mm. morning pages every morning, they can be on anything you want. Just write. And none of this computer crap, pen, paper, mm -hmm. notebook. Right. right. She's like, right. there, and she's literally made like a whole uh, kind of miniature movement. And, you know, she kind of has one, a one note uh, breakthrough, but she talks about these more, how she has story after story about people who do the morning pages daily without stopping who've had breakthroughs in their life. Right. And they all, there's conferences now where people just talk about it. It's so it's kind of this, uh, sure. it's sure. kind of this like self-fulfilling yeah. thing that a lot of people have tapped into. Yeah. yeah. So, so it's like just, two things there. I'm thinking two things. First of all, I need to hit on that one note so I can just capitalize on this one thing and then, and speak on it and write the book about it and rest on my laurels and retire again from my day job, quit my day job. Cause it's basic stuff. The second thing I, I think, as you mentioned, you're 45, which I still can't wrap my head around that you Jeffrey little are 45 years old. You are, and I'm not a math guy, but I was 23 and I met you. So you are, well, how, what's the math there? <laughs> you were twice, almost twice as old as I was when we first met. That just blows my mind. And to blow yours, my wife will be 45 this November. So had I met my wife, Leslie, when I got to Greenbrier, she would have been in your class as an eighth grader, which would have been creepy. This is but basically a back happen. to the future. Um, yeah, I think as we get older, and I find myself much, I, it's just part of, it is. It's ridiculous. Um, but as I've gotten older, I find myself not as, not just physically less spastic, because I was super spastic as a, as a high school kid, as a college guy, as a young guy at Greenbrier, um, all that energy and stuff. My energy level is less, yes, um, but more contemplative, willing to sit and just think and willing to deal with truth more than I think before. Um, Cause trying to figure out what truth was when you're younger or you don't want to think about it because it's, it's too much to, to think about. Um, but just you know now why, why is life the way it is? Why am I the way I am who contributed to that either pro or con and just coming to grips with that stuff I think is huge. Um, yeah, you mentioned your family doesn't sound much different from mine where I, I keep telling my wife, if I find out that I have a twin brother somewhere that my mother just never told me about, it wouldn't be a surprise because no one talks about anything in my family. Everything's a secret. And I'll be really upset uh, to find this out that, that there's a twin out there I could have known for a while. Um, but even confronting some of those things, those are you allowed to are, are you allowed to think negative what would be negative thoughts are you allowed to think less than glowing thoughts about people you love and are you allowed to express those thoughts i think is a really a powerful way to kind of get past some of the the hurt and the um the deficiencies we feel when we're quiet and in our own heads and, and thinking about that stuff so i'm glad you're going through that did I understand you right a little earlier in this conversation? You mentioned your mother was 75 years old. And was that even when you were younger? Can, can you just confirm that? Or no, 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 no. She is now. She's 75 now. Okay. She was 20 when I was born. Okay. Uh, 
75 now. Okay. Yeah. So in her life, you know, as, as a 20 year old with a child is nothing like my life that my, our Molly um, is 16 now. So she came on board when I was what, 41 or something. Um, she doesn't, she, my mom doesn't understand my life because she raised one boy. I'm raising four girls. Um, she had me when she was 20 and uh, we didn't have our first child till I was 41. So she doesn't quite get the dynamics of my life. And she assumes I'm always exhausted, which, mm. you know, on a good day, I'm not, but, um, yeah, there's just a lot there. The dynamics of our relationship, hers and mine compared to who I am as a dad and how I, how I parent now, mm. um, totally different. I really appreciate you explaining that my mother had me when she was let's see if i can do the math correctly um uh, it's hard the math is hard i i she was okay here's where my mom married my father when she was 20 and then i came along at age her she was 25 um and so and here okay. I am, 45, and I married my wife uh, just in 2016, and she's almost 10 years younger than me. Uh, her name's Tara, and uh, Tara... Yeah, look at that, Jeff. Tara is... Uh, I don't think this is bad. I'm just going to say she's 36 then, and... Uh, um, Right. We're, we're, lo- we're looking at... Look at, at us. Steal- we're out in the cradle, both of us. That's, well, what does that mean about us? I know. We'll, we'll, we'll have a different conversation offline. Anyway, um, uh, I, <laughs> I think... I'm kidding. I, so we're at the stage where we're thinking about, okay, the children thing and like how, when to start. And like, you know, the classic... I think every... Especially, kind, right. we're kind of a professional couple. It's like, well, um, um, this is together now, and this fund is together, and this plan is together, and like, there's all this like, probably right. over th- overthinking. And I think everybody's just like, dude, shut up and just have the kids, you know. But um, I right, just have the kids. You're I, never going to be ready. <laughs> I one thing I really appreciate about, from what I can tell about your story, is you didn't like get your foot wet or something with just one child, but you, you guys have, you're, you're like, this is great. <laughs> Can you just comment on like, how did you know that that was, yes, and maybe actually. there's more, maybe there's more kids coming. I don't know. Hey, um, well, being an only child, first of all, I always wanted, uh, when I was growing up as a kid, the Brady Bunch was like my ideal. Literally. <laughs> I'd watch that show and think, Oh man. And then they had that, that cousin, Oliver, who came on board a couple years into the season, like there toward the end of the series, Oliver. And I thought, oh, if I could just be Oliver and just hang around the Brady Bunch. So I was always enamored by big families. Um, and I knew as a kid, I just want to have a big family. And Leslie is one of three, and she loves her family. Her family is loud and boisterous, and they get together, and they do stuff, and they all love each other, <laughs> unlike mine. Um, and so it was just, I guess for her, it's like, yeah, that's what we're going to do. So it was never a question of like, well, how many are we going to have? It's like, okay, let's start having them and let's see what happens. And then, you know, you have the first girl and you have the second girl. Okay, now we're going to try for the boy. And you have the third girl. Okay, now seriously, let's have a boy next time. <laughs> then you have the fourth girl. And then you decide, okay, we're girl making people. So <laughs> we're probably going to stop now <laughs> since, you know, a fifth girl, I don't know. So it's, it's fun. It's, and have not having siblings, not growing up with siblings. Um, it's, 
interesting the watching the dynamics of siblings and wondering are these people going to grow up and hate each other later on is anybody going to come to my house for christmas you know in 20 years are they all going to hate each other because there are times they're just so mean to each other and door slamming and freaking out and shrieking but then they turn around and they're loving and they're kind so i just sit back and uh, i'm in a stupor most of the time trying to figure it out but it's awesome it's awesome being a dad some of knowing I suggest you, you go ahead and do that. I really appreciate, I, I take these things to heart more than you probably could imagine. I really appreciate you giving me this perspective. Let, let me, let me uh, sort of propose this and tell me if this resonates as an English person, as a feeler um, and as a literary kind of person, right. uh, especially as your your daughters who i've only seen through the your your well-managed instagram account um do you do you appreciate uh especially young ladies who are usually never short on emotion do you appreciate kind of observing mm. these probably to my mind it would be like ongoing sort of sitcom or novel or brady bunch episode yeah. of drama right. do you yeah. see it that way is it kind of fun to perceive yes. it that way I do. I do. I see my life as a sitcom for the most part. <laughs> yes. Um, and I'm like the bumbling father who would trip over the, the footstool thing, Dick Van Dyke, if it were in the way. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting because, you know, it's easy to, to work with other people's kids. And um, I knew it was going to be an amazing father because I knew exactly how to fix people's kids. I don't know what was wrong with them, why their kids did it the way they did, because I would do it differently. And now I am that guy and I'm like, oh, why can't I fix this or that? Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, it's, it's always something. There are emotions running wild. Um, there's lots of love. There's all this capacity. It's amazing how much capacity you have to love each of these individual people. And it's shocking how totally different they are, even though I'm, I'm confident they came from me. I know they came from my wife because I was there and helped birth each of them. Pretty confident I'm the dad of all of them. And, but there can be so different, um, which is, you know, just it's, it's really cool, the uniqueness of each of them. And then thinking ahead for them. Um, you know, someone said that being a parent is like wearing your heart on your sleeve, kind of a deal where it's, you get hurt for them. And, and you try to tell them, listen to me, I know better because not because I'm older, but I've been there, done that, lived that. And just trying to kind of project, okay, what's going to happen down the road if, if this particular bad habit continues? And how do we curb this bad habit? What do we do to train this child up in the way that she should go mm -hmm. so when she's older, she won't depart from it? Um, so, yeah, it's, just, it's a really huge responsibility, as parenting should be, if it's done well. And um, I think being a teacher has made probably for my poor kids more complicated because I'll come home thinking, okay, you are not going to end up like little so-and-so that I dealt with today. <laughs> you know, and yeah. um, it, it's probably not fair to them, but that's the way it is. So yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, I knew I wanted to be a dad because I never really had one. First of all, my real father was out of the house. He was, he was not around. He died when I was 15. My mom, when she remarried, my stepfather, who's still with her, um, just he didn't—he doesn't have the capacity, I don't think, to to not be the dad I needed. 
Um, so that was, you know, it's, it's a relationship, but it's not like close father-son relationship. I knew I wanted to be dad, whatever that looked like. So I'm figuring out as I go what that actually looks like. I was going to ask if I, I, I remembered, I believe you saying when I, you know, way back uh, when I, when, when you were my teacher, I remember you talking about your father being out of the picture. And I believe you mentioned him being dead. Uh, and that was, you said he passed when you were 15. So obviously yeah. by the time you're in your mid twenties, uh, you've had some time to think about all that. You even one memory, I think you'll appreciate mm -hmm. is I think you, read lyrics and then played the song of Mike and the Mechanics, The Living Years. Do you, do you remember this song? Oh gosh, I remember that, yeah. I, mean, it's I a, do it's remember a, that. It's a, it's a Why did I do sad that? song. And it's a really good song. <laughs> I, I, you know. Yeah, um, was I allowed to do that at Greenbrier? How did yeah, because it, it was not. Did I close the door? What, yeah, I could only imagine that. Um, uh, that was against the rules, but uh, I, <laughs> that song, I, I'm sure you've, I'm, sure, I, I'm almost sure it happened a unless rebel. I've gone back and superimposed at, uh, that memory. But, um, but yeah, the idea. Oh, um, I do remember doing that though. You do remember you're confessing. I have the confession here. I do remember. I, yeah, I do. No, no, no. It's, I Look, mean, I took you to see Silence of the Lambs. I can play some. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, you know, just to go back to Greenbrier for a second, I learned in 1987 and 1988, how serious this idea of being saved was. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. students were being suspended for going to like, and this is not an exaggeration. There were students suspended from Greenbrier for going to New, new Kids on the Block. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and they would go, they would go with their mother and maybe another, like a few, a friend, a, a mother's friend and, you know, it's like, and then it would have been yep. an, a, a kind of violation. I, I, re, I learned in, I learned, at yes, that is true. I learned at Greenbrier that we are saved and the world is lost. And mm -hmm. here's a funny thing though, by the time I was in the middle of ninth grade, I was like, I got to get away from all these saved people. <laughs> and so, so I, some of my story that I'm still unpacking and I, you know, my, my loving family, including my brother, the family business right. was tele evangelistic television. Sure. And uh, my brother, sure. Aaron, my dad is retired after 45 years working there. And then my brother mm. is, now there for this 20th or so year um are you serious my, is that where he is now yeah he's a junior producer okay with um with cbn oh, cool. there in virginia beach and yeah. uh okay and uh some of some of my story that was to, was to leave greenbrier and go to kempsville high school which was like literally a mile right. from i could walk to school it was such a weird thing to walk to school because right. i was carpooling way away and um, mm -hmm. I, uh, I, I took so many good things from the environment that was very predictable uh, and kind of safe mm -hmm. and very explained. And I took them starting in 10th grade and I, 
Mm-hmm. I, I went to Belmont University, which is a Christian Christian university. It's also pretty open and a little bit confusing. <laughs> it was confusing in the mid '90s, and now it's, it's equally confusing. <laughs> they, they're both Christian, and it's it's very artistic school. So there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of like right. How does this all work? Um, right. And 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 so a lot of my a lot of a lot of my strongest sort of. Uh, teaching of faith and being in a faith community kind of peaked in seventh, eighth, ninth grade. And then I was in churches most of the next 20 years and, and all the, and I was leader, a leader. Every time I've been in a church, I've been a leader in a church, but then mm-hmm. some, I think for a variety of reasons, and we, we won't get into all that now, but I've, I really, I, I've, I, I am in a healthy time and I'm, married in my fourth year of marriage and looking at starting a family and uh my wife is great she and i'd stay up late talking about faith and she grew up in a she went to a, uh, a kind of greenbrier situation and in, in here in tennessee right. all the way up through graduating and then went to a public university uh and we have a lot of a lot of and her, her family is in the area mm-hmm. and and um i really value a lot of the instruction i had i just i realized after a certain point it wasn't helping me to feel sort of like uh, in a fundamentalist capacity, uh, like there's a, a kind of a dualistic capacity that it probably wasn't healthy to see the world in a kind of I'm in and you're out kind of way. I just want to run those. I've run that by you. What do you hear in that that does or doesn't make any sense? <laughs> right. Right. Sure. Oh, that's, that's sensible. Yeah. And I think in retrospect, looking back, wait, it's the same thing, isn't it, Jeff? In respect, looking back. Um, yeah. I think we do a disservice to kids or to anybody for that matter. When we have that dualism, we have, okay, here's a sacred and secular and it's us against them. Um, but, you know, I was just guilty of that being a part of it for so long that there were the people who left Greenbrier and went to, you know, places like Kempsville High School, which is a public school. And so obviously you know, they're backslidden and in Satan's service because they left the Christian setting to go to a public school. Um, or, you know, the public school kids that came into Greenbrier, the only reason they came in was they were expelled from a, private, uh, from a public school or they were really good at baseball. Those are the two reasons they came to us. Um, but that, that duality, it, it's interesting. I would tell people that when I got to Nansen River High School is the high school I taught at in Suffolk. I had kids in my public school that were more committed to Christ in their walk and were more authentic than a lot of the kids I had known at Greenbrier because they were living it out and they had to. They, they had kind of stand out in the halls and on the teams of this big public school where at Greenbrier, it really felt like the kids who wanted to live Christ-like way and image him were not the popular ones. They were not the ones that um, were vaunted and you no, know, be like them. They were, they had to kind of do it quietly and behind the scenes, which is antithetical to why the school existed, but you know, humans. I really appreciate you sharing that sentiment Th- that that is I, I some of the people I met and friends I made and and ways of interacting with people during my 
three years in junior high at Greenbrier were uh, fantastic. Like I, I, I still, I watch movies like stand by me and uh, for instance, and I think I had a little bit of that same kind of crazy, like couple of friends. Uh, yeah. I'm tempted to rattle them off, but we can talk offline about who they are. But, Go ahead. But um, okay. <laughs> um, just, just uh, this, the sense of, um, the sense of what you're saying though rings true is uh, um, kids that were sent to the school as a kind of reform situation. And then, yeah. Oh yeah. And then, cause I didn't, it, it, I literally did not pick up on that until my final year at Greenbrier. And I was like, I'm not so sure this is a great environment. Like I'm not really a bad kid, but these other kids kind of are. Right. And, and they're really into some stuff. I know I would get in huge trouble for, and I kind of like that stuff. Yeah. But if I just went to the public high school, I could just hang with my other <laughs> friends from church. And anyways, it, it was like, it was a weird kind go. of self-care. It was a weird kind of self-care that I felt like, Sure. I needed to probably sure. probably call in a favor for the public. This is a crazy statement, but I could right. probably save myself in a way by going to the public school because I could kind of have right. I could kind of have a more natural way of being in the world. Whereas the funny thing about Greenbrier is it was like you really did. This, sure. is in, this is in the late 80s. And I think everybody grows up and changes and institutions change and develop and evolve. Um, but at the time, it was a little bit of a like, you know, let's become increasingly uh, devout and let's become increasingly sort of focused on, especially I would even say sort of the socio-political feelings in the mid to late 80s and the kinds of the kinds of things that were kind of being drummed up in culture and the kinds of cloistering that was happening in right. conservative churches, which I went to. And it was, a, and it's, there's still plenty of that. It's just, we at least have ways of finding our people or, or disassociating and, and, and realizing there's other groups of people out there. And I, because of, probably because of the internet and probably because of uh, uh, more information right. being right. shared. But at the time I, I didn't, I didn't have any idea what the real world was like in 1988. And um, it wasn't all bad, mm -hmm. but my world was really small and really safe. And uh, mm -hmm. that, that again, you can't you can't Monday morning quarterback you know your past, uh, especially when you're young. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm still right. I still uh, I I still have so many sort of special feelings towards the Greenbrier years, and certainly people like yourself that were. Mm -hmm. I, I, I the chances are I wouldn't have had someone like you cross my path if I'd just gone to the local junior high and then the local high school. The the good teachers are, um, you know, I I think most teachers are a little bit burned out. It's just you would have to be. It's so it's such hard sure. work, oh, sure. and you would yes, know that better. It is. You would know that better I'm than I. I'm starting burned out this year. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, I, I really thank you so much for doing this today. I want to be super respectful of your time sure. and and your ba your family sure. bandwidth. Sure. Here you are hogging the bandwidth apparently. So, uh, um, I, I, what? <laughs> I am. I am. <laughs> I'm people. I'm keeping people off Disney Plus even as I speak. All right. Well, we're, I'm gonna let you're gonna get out of the doghouse very shortly. What? what is next for you? And there's so many ways you can answer that, but just what's next. What are you thinking about for yourself? Maybe you could answer that for this next year or for longer, or well, I don't know what's going on. Sure. Sure. 
Well, I'm trying to figure out as a principal now, this is my fourth year as a principal um, after nine years as an assistant principal in Suffolk, moved to Isle of Wight County as a principal four years ago. Um, trying to figure out what does school look like now when I have pre-K through third graders who are going to either experience their education virtually or if their parents elected, they're going to come to the building. And out of a, a, a student body of 710 kids last school year, um, we're going to have roughly 250 that decide to come in the building, and they're going to be split into two different tracks. So I'll have, you know, maybe 170-ish kids in my building on the first day of school, down from 710 the previous the previous year. So trying to navigate that, what does that look like? How do we keep pre-K kids keeping their masks on, how do we teach kindergartners how to walk in line and do so six feet apart? Um, how do I encourage teachers to stick with it when it's hard and this is nothing like anything they went to school for or anything we've been trained to do or have experience with? Um, so that's kind of my big thing. My, my, <laughs> my one day goal is to the next day and get it the next day. Um, this is probably, I would say, with the exception of my first year as an assistant principal, which is pretty rough, um, this has been the hardest as far as an, a, an educator mm. is wrapping my head around how different this is going to be and then being able to answer questions. Teachers are full of questions right now, and rightfully so, but not having the answers because none of us has done this. So how do, how do I lead? How am I a strong leader if I don't know the answers? I'm really grappling with that. Um, so that's kind of where I'm moving is let's get through this process. Let's figure this out as we go and let's see how long we get to do it before they shut us down because somebody gets sick. Um, so it's kind of my short term goal and I'm looking at, you know, I, I did the work last year with a financial planner and because of my 12 years in private education, I did not pay into retirement and I was 23. I spent my money on ties and CDs <laughs> and books. So who needed retirement? So now I'm going to make up those 12 years. So I still have 11 more to go before I can retire, which is not, I mean, I'm, that won't be, I won't be that old when I retire and I'll do something else. Um, I would like to, I think before I retire, maybe work at the central office level in some capacity, like the director of fun Mm -hmm. or whatever that could be, something that I would enjoy. <laughs> um, so maybe central office, retire from that. Uh, there'll be a point where I'm going to be sick and tired of chasing, getting under desks and trying to coax kindergartners out. And, and the, last year I realized this is hard. At 54, it's hard to get on the ground and tell Johnny, come on, let's go, let's, get on, let's go to lunch now and try to get back up. It's just not as easy as it used to be. Um, I'll do that. I would love to eventually maybe my post-retirement career to work on a college campus in an education department and teach teachers. I think that'd be very rewarding if anyone goes into education. I mean, so few are going into it now. Um, so those are kind of the, the long-term, you know, me as a, as a professional, what will I do? Um, it's, it's weird to think about retirement. It probably seems weird to you to hear me talk about retirement because, you know, in your head, I'm still 23, but <laughs> it's exciting to think about actually not having to do anything. I never sure. thought I would like that. 
I think the quarantine being stuck in the house really helped me understand how much I could be okay with not getting up at a certain time and actually putting on pants. Um, so I, I, I look forward to that. I know 11 years will go super fast. Um, in that time, Molly, our oldest is, is in two years will be leaving and going to college if we let her, which we might. Um, so that'll be a whole new ball game to try to figure that out, navigate what that looks like to, you know, have a girl go off to school. Um, so those are kind of some of the areas, some of the ways I'm thinking right now. I've been working with our youth group at our church, so I still have that connection with, um, I had the same core group of guys since they were in sixth grade. Now they're in, um, they're becoming juniors. So just watching them grow and develop and still having that opportunity to kind of pour into them in a way that's more hands-on than I am, you know, as a principal in an elementary school, it's not like it was when I was a, an English teacher at Greenbrier. It's, it's administration and, you know, it's not quite the same. But I do have the opportunity with these guys to kind of, again, that life on life discipleship and just hanging out and going out and, and, you know, getting coffee or whatever and just talking about what's next and where are you, you know, spiritually and all. So I'll continue that. Um, every once in a while I have a book bouncing around in my head that I should write and just haven't happened yet. Um, so those are kind of the directions I'm going. I, I've actually thought about maybe I could blog this year what's it like to be a virtual principal or a principal of a hybrid school you know what's it like to do this job in a way that's never been done and and what are the lessons i learned so that's actually something i might consider doing um just for my own sanity it kind of goes back to it it would be sort of like journaling <laughs> journaling from the the career aspect is so it, that's where i am i really appreciate that answer it really made me think um is it the, one of the things that I, I observe is that you are in this leadership position and, uh, you know, I have the tiniest bit of leadership in my own life for this thing or that thing. Not so much at my job, although there's a little bit of that. Um, being this leader in your situation seems seems super important to have like your leadership mentality together does it feel do you feel like you have like these principles forgive the pun of principle principle but like principle principles <laughs> of leadership right that um you're like a theme that you're constantly like okay i go back to this mantra or i go back to these four things right uh yeah i think i do um there's a book by todd whitaker about what great principles do differently and there are several things from there that I kind of hold on to. Um, so, you know, hiring people that are better than the ones that left, making the good people feel comfortable and the ones not so good, making them feel uncomfortable, which is kind of counter to, to some leadership. But in a, in a sense, you know, if someone is not doing the job in my school, they need to not feel comfortable to the point that maybe this is not the career for them or not the building for them. Because what it comes down to is they're impacting kids. And that's really what it's all about. Uh, that goes counter to who I am because I'm not confrontational. But I'm finding ways that it's not confrontation. It's just honesty. And, and having that hard conversation. My first year at the school, I had, I had a hard conversation with the kindergarten teacher and say, you're not happy. I, I've, I've observed you. You don't enjoy what you're doing. And she owned it. She, she said, you're right. I don't. So I said, so we need to find something better for you. And it, it felt 
scary for me to talk like that. But at the same time, I had kindergarten kids who were being impacted and I couldn't let more of that happen. Um, so those are some principles. Also, I really strongly believe in shared leadership. And I don't know if it's because I'm afraid to make the decisions, which I'm not really afraid <laughs> to make the decisions, but I really see the value in the group. And I'm never going to say I know all of it and I'm going to do it. And I'm going to hand it to you and you're going to make it work in your classroom. Because having been in the classroom for lots of years and had things handed to me or edicts placed upon me to make this work, I'm like, wait, that that's not going to work in the classroom. I really want, um, I want information. I want um, perspective from my teachers and I want to share that leadership for two reasons. One is to build other leaders. Um, so, you know, people who have expressed an appreciation for leadership and are, are looking that direction, I give them opportunities to practice it, to see if they really like it. Cause if they don't like it, now, when they're practicing it, they're not going to like it later when they're actually doing it. And then also, you know, what are their perspectives? I, I just had someone come in my office Friday who was bringing to me a situation where, here's what you said, Mr. Brennan, but the team thinks it might work better this way. And I was appreciative that she was willing to say that. And I'm like, yeah, whatever, sure, go with that. Then <laughs> They're the ones that know. You know, I don't have any... I don't care if, if, if that's the better way to do it, then let's do it. I'm not going to dictate to people. That's just not who I am. Never have been. Um, so yeah, that's, I think one of my principles is, as far as a leader is that servant leadership, um, loving people, thanking people, telling people I appreciate them, giving them credit when they do, you know, do the things and serving them and, and doing what I feel needs to happen for them. I think that it helped me along the way. And that may have come from my time at Greenbrier. I don't know. I think, I think I was wired for that early on, but it was definitely something I was able to practice at Greenbrier and then work on as I've moved through the ranks in buildings where that is not the norm. Um, servant leadership is not what they see. So I think it's been refreshing for some people um, and they appreciate that aspect, um, creating a culture in my building that is very, kid-centric but also very teacher-centric um i think is huge and you 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 build a team of good people you bring them in and you make them happy and keep them i love this and may go back and get a master's in education just to go work for you <laughs> i got awesome. wait wait for awesome. me we'll go wait, to uva you that's years. where i got mine wahoo wah. <laughs> um let me just throw this last question slash uh, chance out. Is there something that maybe you thought we were going to talk about that we didn't? And that's a great question, Jeff. I always ask that when I interview people. <laughs> I, and there, is there a question you thought we would ask that we didn't ask? And they'll say, oh, yeah, I thought you'd ask this. And then they're like, okay. And then I ask them that question. Um, <laughs> gosh, no, I don't, I don't think so. Um, no, I don't think so. This is good. I, I there were great questions. <laughs> I still can't believe you're an adult. Yeah, well, uh, that's what my mom and <laughs> wife would say. And uh, I, I have good days and bad days, but um, <laughs> I, I, I think the, yeah, I think the pan. Well. This is, um, this has been such a treat. The pandemic, for me, has caused me to be more reflective. Um, I'm just. <laughs> I mean, it's right. funny because I think we're more connected than we've ever been with social media and our phones and everything. But then 
there's like quiet Absolutely. things that are happening kind of in my soul because the world is such a strange place mm -hmm. right now. Um, this would have mm -hmm. been in my top wishes to possibly do. I, and I, if you told me like six months ago, this was going to happen, I would have been like, it's, it's too much. No way. Um, but here, I can't believe I, I well, was, you need to get out more, Jeff. You yeah, need well, to get out more. As you can tell, I'm not, I'm not doing well. No, I'm, I really, I'm, I, you're being, I you're see being that. Fun. I see. You're being fun, but I, I, uh, I really appreciate this. And I, I know that we'll be in touch more and um, I'm digging yes. your Instagram account. Your, your Instagram is like, <laughs> is it, is it Bobinator? What is it? It's again? the Bobinator 2000. The, the Bobinator Bob 2000. Um, I don't even know if you're going to, I don't know if you're a private account or not, but I'm going to let, I'm going to keep this in this and, and the millions of people listening to this podcast, you might be flooded. You might, you may become even more of an influencer. Awesome. Yes. Um, um that's how that's do you think how, i'll like, actually get to double digit followers <laughs> <laughs> um you, the goal is for you to become retired as soon as possible and that might include just asking for money yes, online absolutely okay <laughs> there you go yeah a go um, fund me i'm thinking of a go fund me yeah sure. people are getting money from that and it's weird how it happens so anyway um i really it really is. really I really, really, really appreciate this unusual thing. And sure, Jeff. You're helping connect yeah. dots for me, and maybe even for yourself. <laughs> and um, yes, we'll we will be in touch in ways big and small. I okay. know because this has been an amazing time. So sounds good. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for reaching out. This makes my heart happy. I mean, it's the kind of thing when you when I get to see one of my kids doing well. And I, I think I tell my kids this, that once you're one of my students, you're always one of my kids. You're always one of my students. Um, so even though I know you're older, you know, in my head, you're still Jeffrey Little, the eighth grade guy, but you're a big guy now. And it just does my heart good to watch, to see my kids bigger and doing good things and not in prison uh, and stuff like that. So thank you for reaching out. Thank you for doing this. Um, it makes me happy to think that a comment I made in a journal, you know, is still in somebody's attic and, and that you're doing good stuff. So thank you. Bless you, sir. Take care of yourself. May the yes, Disney thanks. plus, right. which may that may it provide immediate relief <laughs> from this serious conversation. Probably. All right. Well, thank you so much. I love you, man. Good All to right, see you. Let's too. talk again. Thank All right. So much. Bye. Bye. I'm sorry. I, I really don't know what you're driving. I just don't.